believe it or not. Strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. I'm Brent. So, Ryan, what do you think of when you hear the word hoax? I think of like uh, something fake and negative and, and uh, you know, some, somebody's trying to pull the wool over my eyes, right? Negative. Really? Hmm. A little bit. Okay. When So, uh, when I hear the word hoax... Uh, for me, it's impossible not to think of a, a certain popular Twitter user, um, someone who all he needs to do is type the word hoax in all caps. And everyone, whether you like or agree with this person or not, almost everyone knows what he's talking about. Right. 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 So, so the word hoax in this context has become sort of synonymous with the word lies. In other words, we've corrupted the word hoax. That would be my argument. We've debased the word hoax to mean something it's not, which is a shame because to me, a genuine, well-planned, well-executed hoax can be amazing. A genuine hoax, uh, at least the way I think about it, it functions as satire. It exposes absurdities or hypocrisy or painful truths or sometimes just how dumb and gullible we all really are. So it's in that pursuit to restore the hoax's good name <laughs> that we're sharing with you the inside scoop about a great modern hoax. That's right. So for several weeks, not long ago, the shed at Dulwich was featured on TripAdvisor as the number one rated restaurant in all of London. It was a highly exclusive uh, boutique hotspot available by appointment only to customers willing to wait months for a table. Potential guests were at times screened according to their celebrity status or their status as social media influencers. The restaurant's menu was composed not of entrees and side dishes, but of moods. Moods like contemplation, which is described on the restaurant's menu as a deconstructed Aberdeen stew served with warm beef tea. Another dish is comfort, a Yorkshire blue macaroni and cheese seasoned with bacon shavings and served in a 600 thread count Egyptian cotton bowl. Oh, so good. So <laughs> yummy. Instead of listening to us describe it uh, real quick, let's introduce introduce Uba Butler, the restaurant's founder and owner. We talked to Uba back when the shed at Dulwich was at the pinnacle of its popularity. The shed is the number one rated restaurant on TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor has 140 million unique views per month. That's how, and it is the number one rated restaurant in London. Mm. And the thing is about the shed is that you can try and get a table, but you're going to have to wait three months. That is how much people are gagging to come and eat the shed. We don't serve meals at the shed. We serve moods. So our our kind of trained patrons come in if you get the chance to get a seat. It's very difficult. We'll uh, look you up and down and speak with you, kind of have a conversation, and they will serve you a meal that is doctored to your mood. And in a matter of 
think about what we've done in six months. We've gone from being the 18,000 out of 18,000 restaurant ranked in London to being number one with celebrities, bloggers, uh, influencers trying to get a table. Well, you know, the thing is with the shed is that we have so many people trying to get a table that um, we have to be extremely selective. So, you know, there might be when someone calls, which is happening nonstop, I must say at this point, um, we take them through a set of questions. Um, you know, like uh, sometimes we might inquire Instagram followers they have, for example. And, um, you know, this just helps us kind of make sure that we've kind of got the kind of happening, hip and happening people at the shed. Yeah. You know, a top spot requires and um i guess the thing is with the shed is that we want it to be the greatest night of your life so we want to have a, a select number of people we want, we want to know the first the last names the dates of birth and the star signs of every customer who comes in every night and uh yeah there aren't many tables but that's you know that's the way it should be it should feel personal um and that's why people are so gagging to get a table. I end up saying to everybody, like a mantra, I'm sorry we're fully booked for the next six weeks. And, uh, you know, I wish that we could provide more, but we are at it's, it's Studio 54 all over again. When The Shed Dulwich first appeared on TripAdvisor in May of 2017, the restaurant debuted with a ranking of 14,187 the worst-ranked restaurant in all of London. But word quickly spread about the exclusive boutique eatery, and five-star reviews began piling up. Its rank climbed steadily, hitting 156 by the end of August. On November 1st, Uba received an email from TripAdvisor. The Shed at Dulwich was the top-rated restaurant in all of London. So I just want to emphasize um, that everything that we, you and I, have said about this story so far has been true. A restaurant called The Shed at Dulwich that served meals called like contemplation and lust and comfort, owned and operated by a man named Uba Butler, really was the number one rated restaurant in all of London. But in case you haven't figured it out, well, here's the thing. Anyone listening who is thinking, wow, the shed at Dulwich sounds fantastic. I've got to go. Um, what should they know about the shed at Dulwich? Okay, so the thing you need to know about the shed at Dulwich is that it doesn't actually exist. It's a kind of non-existent, made-up restaurant that I have ran out of the garden shed that I live in in London. Just to be clear, it's not exactly accurate to say that the shed at Dulwich was non-existent. It's insane online popularity combined with its sort of perceived exclusivity resulted in an overwhelming public response. The sheer volume of calls for reservations, not to mention calls from PR firms that wanted to work with him or restaurant suppliers sending him samples or the people who showed up in Uba's neighborhood trying to find the place. The pressure from all of this real-life interest actually did convince Uba to open for business, 
for one night. So while that earlier clip wasn't actually from 2017, it was from a recent interview that we did with Uba Butler, who obviously has enough of a sense of humor to play along with us for a bit. So uh, in real life, Uba is a writer and author whose story for Vice UK about how he created the number one ranked restaurant in London, a city with tens of thousands of restaurants, went globally viral a couple of years ago. But the story of how a young guy basically used his phone to create a real life frenzy of people from a around the world trying to get a table at his top ranked fake restaurant. Well, that story, I think, resonates today. So as told by Uba, here's the story of how he did it. And just a warning, our long distance Skype connection wasn't the best for parts of this interview, but you'll get the gist. Uba says the shed at Dulwich was born from a revelation he had, a revelation tied to his former job writing fake restaurant reviews for, well, you know who. Okay, so... My name is Uber Paul Arthur Butler, and I'm a creator of nonsense. Yeah, it was It was actually, I thought it was going to be very complicated to kind of get a restaurant verified on TripAdvisor. Um, like there would be kind of checks, like, I don't know, someone would come, up, come and see the restaurant from TripAdvisor or that kind of thing. But it was actually really, like all I needed to get a restaurant verified on TripAdvisor was like, Four things. Obviously, the name that I came up with was like the shed at Dulwich because I lived in a shed in Dulwich at the time. Uh, you needed an address, but you didn't like you didn't need to put the the door number or like the the. You just needed to put the name of the road, which I found fascinating. Um, you needed like a, a mobile number, like a, a, a cell phone um, or a number, um, and I just I bought a cheap phone from a local supermarket and um yeah that was the shed's landline and um you needed like a website so i yeah i bought www.theshedatdulwich.com spent like the afternoon looking at like fancy restaurants um websites and like made my own website based on that and how did you land on the concept um of the of your of your menu of making it moods <laughs> your meals are based on moods yeah like i guess that um i don't know i i think that i've been i'd done actually a little bit of freelance work at the time for this this company called mr hyde who were like this newsletter in london um that like recommends places and like i we kind of got dragged to some restaurants like that were just so heavy on like the the gimmick that they had like one where it was like, oh, we're going to serve you um, cocktails in like a laboratory. And like another thing that was like, um, God, what else? Like the, oh, like it was all about the fact that you were like the location, the fact like, oh, you're on a, on a barge in the Thames and you all like, everyone's dressed up like they're yes. sailors and things like that. And I guess that I just kind of actually experienced in like firsthand, like, um, just how crazy and kind of strange the food culture was becoming. So by April of 2017, Uba had everything he needed to launch his idea. He had the concept. He had a logo that a friend designed. He has a website with beautiful photos of plated entrees. And he has a burner cell phone. So he fills out TripAdvisor's online application to be verified as an official London restaurant. And he waits. Yeah, so... Yeah, it was the 5th of May and I wake up to an email which essentially says, we're excited to tell you that your listing request has been approved and is on our site for everybody to see, which 
basically means I was officially verified as a restaurant on TripAdvisor. And, um, yeah, I did not expect it to get that far. Like I'd had fun making the whole concept and putting the thing together, but I really didn't expect to get verified. And, um, once I was, I was like, okay, now it's time to have a bit more fun. What I did was I wrote kind of, um, out to family and friends and I, I, I kind of wrote this big email of kind of a dossier of how to review the shed at Dulwich so basically that all the reviews would be consistent like although it all takes place in a restaurant that doesn't exist like if you were going to write a fake review for this restaurant it should be like consistent with all the other reviews so I wrote kind of a dossier and it was like if you rules of what you have to mention if you review the shed like rule one you eat outside rule two um you must mention that like it was an appointment only place because people can't start showing up here it's like it was appointment only like we got like it took us months to get a table but once we got in it was amazing um you had to mention that the food was like homely i remember saying um oh and then the most important rule of all like you had to mention that it was impossible to get a table but <laughs> because that's what this whole thing was kind of built upon it was like the idea that that this place was so exclusive that um you know that that spot's gonna make people like you know what i mean it's like scarcity right it's classic kind of thing um so all the reviews were so that was so that all the reviews were consistent and um i kind of sent an email off to all family and friends and like being like hi first you've heard of me in a while but uh, <laughs> can you help me <laughs> review does anyone have a TripAdvisor account and can you help me um you know can you help me can you leave some reviews and um yeah a, a few people started like a, a like obliged like i had a handful of friends and i remember i remember like within like six weeks we we, we got up to i think we had about 23 reviews and we got up to like number 1,000 for 400, 500 out of 18,000 restaurants in London. Like we really yeah. climbed the first bunch like really quickly. And I, yeah. I was like, that's fascinating. And, um, it, but it didn't really feel like real to me. Like it didn't completely, it felt kind of online. There's still like a, a, a kind of a separation. And then one day everything completely changes because the phone rings <laughs> and it's not, it's not like my phone, but it's the phone that I bought for the shed. Yeah, on the other end of that phone is like an actual human trying to book a table at my non-existent restaurant. <laughs> In August, the shed at Dulwich was suddenly ranked as London's 156th rated restaurant. It had taken on its own momentum generated by more and more interest, which itself was fueled by the fact that no one could actually get a table there, let alone a job or a supplier contract. So yeah, I, I guess for like the August, um, I was beginning to realize that it wasn't like kind of a normal prank of mine. Um, like I, the first one I had was that people were applying for jobs at my non-existent restaurant. Um, you know, experienced chefs who like wanted a table. And um, I guess I was beginning to see as we were going up the rankings, just like the power of TripAdvisor. It wasn't just like customers, potential customers who were trying to get a table. It was like influencers. 
Instagram influencers. It was like celebrities, like minor celebrities. And, and I guess that I started to get um, basically suppliers who were, who were trying to figure out like where I lived with packages for like teas that I should serve at the shed and like different... I don't know, different samples of food. And um, yeah, it, 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 like my neighbors were like, do you know what this is? And I was like, secretly, I remember lying to them. Being like, no, I have no, I have no idea. Cause I was, it's such a tight knit community, Dulwich, that you like, you can't really, like if someone had known, there were loads of the people who were trying to get a table immediately with people around it. And then it kind of became nationwide as it went on. And then eventually when we got higher and higher up the rankings, tourists from all over the world trying to get a table. I get an email from the local council who want to uh, move me to an area that they're like gentrifying to uh, at, like, redu reduce rates. I had like, an, an Australian production company wanted to film adverts about London's food culture at the shed. Which would be an improvement, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, then like, um, what else? I had like PR agencies wanting to represent me. One day I was coming, I was getting back to my my street and it's quite a quiet street. And um, there's these like people who are kind of, uh, with their phone, they're kind of Google Maps out, like kind of walking like back and forth in front of like my house and like the five houses either side of it. And um, they stop me when they see me and they're like, excuse me, do you know whereabouts the shed at Dulwich is? And I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, I don't, I'm not sure actually. Let me just have a look. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to get out my phone so I could kind of record this conversation because I'm sure, I didn't think anyone would believe me. And, but then they were like, oh, don't worry about that. We'll just call it quickly. And I was like, oh God, because <laughs> I had Shed's phone in my backpack. So I just said, I'm so sorry, I've got to go. And I just like bound into the house as quickly as I can. Or I'm, I think I was up the street, um, but I just get away as quick as I can. And as I'm going, walking away, the phone is ringing and ringing. And I just thought, <laughs> my God. So this is getting a bit out of hand, right? It's like that moment of panic when the couple standing in front of Uba's house asking if he knows where the shed at Dulwich is and then calling the phone that Uba was carrying. This is getting real, you know, unlike the food that Uba and his friends photographed for the restaurant's website. What would have happened if someone actually ate the food that you photographed? What would have happened to them? <laughs> what would happen to somebody if they were to eat the food which is advertised and pictured on the website um they would be extremely ill um so they would have a stomach filled with uh you know shaving foam which i don't think would be too bad shaving foam it'd probably make you feel sick but then I, what i'm really worried about is the uh, is the pebbles from a fish tank that's one thing and um, the urinal cake, like like a puck of like bleach, basically. <laughs> so I'm thinking that that thing is um, that thing is going to take you down. Um, so yeah, I really not recommend uh, anybody tucking into this anytime soon. I've already spoken about kind of the starter, which in my eyes is like pan pan fried uh, scallops with uh, sea foam. That's what I was basing it on. And then the, the main was a, a ham hock, 
So, you know, you've got kind of coriander and a lot of seasoning and an egg, um, which was kind of placed on top. Um, it looks like a delicious ham hock, but if you uncrop the image, it's actually like an egg on my foot. Um, <laughs> and I guess the idea there was, I originally wanted it to be my elbow, um, and I shaved my elbow to make it look uh, appetizing as possible. But the, the, ang <laughs> the angle was too... Um, was just too complicated. So in the end, I think the foot will work better because it's just so absolutely disgusting. And as I was saying earlier... <laughs> On November 1st of 2017, Uba received an email from TripAdvisor. The gig is up, he thought. But he thought, wrong. So on November 1st, I kind of I had an email from TripAdvisor, which was unusual because you don't really get that much contact from them. And it had, like, the subject title was information request. And I was like, oh, God. God, I've been, I've been rumbled. You know, the game's up. Not, you know, I've not managed to get this thing over the line. But I open up the email, and what it says is essentially that on the 1st of November 2017, my restaurant that doesn't exist... Uh, got to number one in the whole of London. And uh, I just, I could not believe it. I genuinely could not believe it. I remember I was at my parents' house and um, like looking after their dogs and um, they're away and I'm in the house on my own running around screaming, going, yes, celebrating. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that it, that reality would have, uh, had allowed this to happen. Like, it was just so stupid. It's like going back to all those things from when you're younger. It's like I always felt like I was the last person laughing, and this was the same thing. It was like not the last laughers in like the in like the metaphorical sense. I mean, like literally, I was the last person laughing at a joke. Like it, this felt like just. I just couldn't believe that it was able to happen. It was so silly, but so in a way. When I began to think about it, I was like, how has this been able to happen? Like, this is one of the biggest travel websites on earth. Like, how have they not flagged this up? Yeah, I guess that the calls and the people showing up at the house and people trying to get in kind of just quadrupled or, you know, tenfold kind of the intensity as soon as we got to number one. And now all of a sudden it's like kind of people of kind of uh, quote unquote like note there's kind of like, yeah, who are really, really trying to get a table. And I, I'm kind of, I, I'm trying to tell them all the craziest things I can. And I ask some of them, like, how many Instagram followers they have and just say things to try and put them off coming. But the more that I make it unavailable to them, the more that they want to get a table. And uh, by the end of it, you know, I kind of am just, um, I remember saying, uh, are you, oh, yeah, you can have a table on the uh on the 13th but um do you mind me asking are you comfortable if there's an erotic photo shoot going on um while while uh, you eat and they were like yeah that's absolutely fine <laughs> so i guess what i'm trying to say is just people who kind of lost their minds okay so ryan the thing is by this point uba butler has become a victim of his own success right right what he discovered is that there is a lot of pressure that comes with suddenly being London's number one ranked restaurant. Um, 
I mean, there would have been pressure if it was a real restaurant, <laughs> but there's a wholly different kind of pressure and stress because it's all a hoax. So he had to find some kind of release valve quickly. Right. So there's only a few ways that this is going to end, right? He could either shut it all down, throw away the phone, go into a virtual hiding, uh, which would have drawn its own form of attention, or he could fess up and admit it was all a hoax, which is sort of an inelegant conclusion to the whole thing. So by accepting a reservation on November 13th, Uba had selected a third option to turn his rundown shed slash home into a restaurant, a restaurant worthy of being ranked number one in all of London and to do it in less than a week. It's like, it's like I get to number one and like a lot of, like my, a lot of my things in life, I've not really thought the whole thing through. I was just so focused on trying to get it to number one. Once it was number one, it was kind of so, insanely intense like the court the phone's not stopping going and kind of you you know you've done something but you don't know how to land the plane or whatever and then yeah exactly you're right like it 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 was yeah it felt like oh yeah that's it that that's i have to open it that's that's the end of this thing that's how this story comes to an end yes so i guess that um kind of my plan with all of this i mean the shed at dulwich as it was was a a guy damp garden shed at the back of uh, somebody's house which i lived in and um i had to try and i guess turn that into london's best restaurant in four days and um it was a real dive like so we we had a load of like it's really hard to know where to start um so for, for starters, people couldn't eat. They were going to have to eat outside because there wasn't enough space in the shed. So I had to like, I called up a friend and I borrowed some like chairs from a friend who runs a cafe a couple of miles away or whatever. Um, I, you know, I, I went on a local forum and um, borrowed like some patio heaters from neighbors, like, uh, like propane gas warmers, you know, um, because it, seriously, it was so cold. It was like, it was November, like it was, it was cold. So if, if it had rained as well, you know, there would not have been a shed at Dulwich. And um, so, so I kind of, I, I, I kind of assembled this kind of team. There's this, this is my friend who's a chef um, uh, called Joe. There was my friend Phoebe, who was going to be, she's a comedian, but she's also, she's worked as all of us have, who are in the arts in restaurants and stuff like that. Um, and um, so, yeah, she was going to be the server. And um, yeah, I guess my general plan was kind of the way that I was going to turn my garden shed into London's best restaurant was sort of telling the truth. So all the stuff that I got people to promise in the reviews that like I, I told them to, that I told them to leave um, all my family and my friends, I was going to try and make that a reality as best as I could. So, for example, in the reviews, they all mentioned that the food is homely. So I decided that I wanted to serve having grown up on you know TV dinners uh, <laughs> um, I decided that I wanted to serve like microwave TV dinner style ready meals um, but made to look so that they were like Michelin star quality um, yeah. that was like one aspect of the plan um, another, another part of the reviews was that they um, that they said that uh, that it was kind of like a Michelin star quality but with a farmyard feel to it and uh, so I decided that I wanted to empty like the small Wendy house I don't know if you guys use that word 
mm-hmm. when like like a, a dollhouse, like a playhouse mm-hmm. for kids, because mm-hmm. there's one of those in the garden. Um, we, we emptied that and filled it with uh, with chickens. And the whole <laughs> the whole idea with that was that it was like um, it should be like like lobsters at a fantasy restaurant, like oh it God. should be like <laughs> like pick your chicken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were bearing in mind at the time we were the number one rated vegetarian restaurant in London. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I guess um, another thing was that uh, uh, the, 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 I wanted it to have like the unmistakable ambience of a restaurant. And the thing is, is that because the front half of the garden where you enter, you access the shed from was such a dive, I just thought if anyone walks through here and they're not going to make it to the bottom of the garden, like they're going to just be like, this is awful. So um, I decided that I wanted to blindfold all of the customers <laughs> um, until they got down the shed and then and then take them off and reveal it. But another part of that plan was that um, I had basically on the night to make sure there was an atmosphere that felt like a real restaurant. I had I'd employed a DJ who was a friend of mine called Leo, um, and he he his job was literally just to play the sound of a restaurant. <laughs> um, but the idea being, as people came down the garden with their kind of blindfolds on, oh, it's a real restaurant, you know. <laughs> that, um, for some reason, that kind of yeah, I don't know why that worked. Um, so I guess the whole idea behind all of this stuff was that um, if there's enough things going on uh, enough distractions then maybe the customers won't realize that they're kind of sat in a damp garden in south london eating awful food mitigating his risk uba called upon his friends to pose as random strangers who happened to be dining that night people who would talk loudly enough about how delicious their meals were that the real customers at nearby tables could hear them in reality, Uba and his chef friend had spent less than $50 on microwave dinners that the chef plated and dressed up with pretentious garnishes. But really, despite everything, the terrible food, the cheap patio furniture Uba had borrowed from friends, the DJ playing canned restaurant sounds, in the end, things went almost shockingly well. So we put blindfolds on on the street corner and I walked the cu- I walked all of the customers in a line uh, down uh, past the kind of uh, through the gate into the garden and then eventually when it was ready the moment was right unveiled the shed in front of them. And what they would have seen was a collection of chairs outside the garden shed with uh, some of them on the roof. And uh, over half of the people, there was kind of nine people who were there eating. They were all the actors, all saying that everything was great and acting that this was normal. And um, they took their seats and um, yeah, we started service. And uh, they were two of the eight real customers that we had eating at the shed that night. At one point, I served kind of to our American friends. I served um, comfort or what was actually kind of mac and cheese. Um, and I said, I put down the, di- the dishes in front of them, grind some truffle out on top of each dish. And um, I say, namaste and like disappear to a part of the restaurant where, or restaurant shed or whatever, where I can see them, but they can't see me. And the woman who's like, uh, she's 
sucker foodie. She like likes to take photos of her food and put it on Instagram. Um, she uh, takes out her phone as if to um, take a photo of the of the 99 cent mac and cheese with truffle on it. Looks at the food through her phone camera and then just puts away her phone without taking the camera, <laughs> without taking the photo. And uh, so after we finished everything, like we actually filmed all of this, if anyone's, you know, wants to watch it, there's a documentary. Um, but um, everyone who's in the film, there's some people who are blurred out one table to be exact. Um, the other tables, including our American friends, agreed to be in it. And they were really, because it was their honeymoon, they're like, so a hundred million people have watched that documentary. like. They just found it, they were like really happy. They immediately, when I told them exactly what had happened and like, cause I had to get consent from them. They were like really, they were like really cool with it and found it really hilarious. And um, I'm really glad because I don't feel like, I feel like I could have definitely been that guy eating at the shed and thought it was a real restaurant. And you know, I, I feel like the idea of the piece was, I hope that anyone could have been those people. Um, that's how kind of the power of the internet is so strong. The crazy thing was is that I remember saying to a friend before it, like they have to leave um, with the impression that this is the shed that they read about online. Um, and remarkably, I mean, it was kind of, I didn't feel like it was going to be that it was like it went during the night because we were so nervous, um, you know, and but the, the, when I saw out the last kind of four people on the night, um, the guy, I didn't think he looked happy. But he, he he took me to one side and said, like, about tonight. And I thought, oh, God. But he said, like, about tonight, now that we've been once, is it going to be easier for us to book again next time? So hoaxes and pranks, uh, these sort of, of cultural stunts, uh, serve as the bread and butter of Uba Butler's Gonzo-style writing for Vice UK and other publications. Uh, besides his article about creating the shed at Dulwich, uh, some of his other articles include, I invented a fake friendship with Russell Brand to get free stuff. Uh, why has Fatboy Slim invited me to his house to eat paper? I hired a Hugh Grant impersonator to help me sneak into a private club, and I spent an entire day only saying omelette du fromage. And then there's Uba Butler's latest book, How to Bullshit Your Way to Number One, An Unorthodox Guide to 21st Century Success. And while just about all of Uba's customers at the shed at Dulwich walked away at least entertained after they found out it was a hoax, Uba says he knows there will always be the occasional unhappy customer who doesn't enjoy being pranked. Um, all right. We'd like to thank Uba Butler for taking the time to chat with us. And you can find his book, How to Bullshit Your Way to Number One, at any major bookseller. Did you know, Ryan, that the jackalope... The Fiji Mermaid and the Furry Trout are among hoax creations by taxidermists that have fooled thousands of people into believing they're real. You can check out our website. Ripley's.com. And learn about mythical creatures created by artists and gaff taxidermists. Believe it or not. These are, of course, different than the multi-headed and appendaged taxidermy displays in many of Ripley's auditoriums, which are actually completely legit. Awesome. So we spent a lot of time in this episode learning about hoaxes. Uh, the story of Edward Mordrake is as compelling as it is woeful. The narrative of a doomed man cursed with a second face on the back of his head. 
It's a staple of true horror listicles, medical mystery compilations, and did-you-know image macros. Yes, Edward Mordrake is a character worth remembering, his tragic tale worth telling. He's also a complete fabrication. He's a hoax. As the story goes, Mordrake, or sometimes Mordake, uh, was born into nobility but was cursed with a second face on the back of his head. Sometimes described as a female face, it would only whisper demonic things to him at night, and driven mad, Mordrake took his own life at the age of 23. This dramatic tale is even confirmed in the 1896 science textbook, Anomalies and Curiosities of Medicine. The story has staying power in part because of how disturbing it is, and in part because it is in some ways plausible. Occasionally, an animal will be born with an extra face, although those rarely live long. Sometimes that's a result of craniofacial duplication, and sometimes it's a form of conjoined twinning. There was even a man, Chang Su Ping, who lived at least to adulthood with an extra mouth and other facial features. So what's to doubt about Mordrake? First, the idea that the second face could speak raises a little bit of suspicion. Uh, how could it have its own consciousness if it didn't have its own brain? But more importantly, we can look to the origin of the Mordrake tale. Science historian Alex Bosey of Hoax.org searched historical newspapers and discovered Mordrake was one of several wonders of modern science alongside a spider with a human head, a fish woman, and a half-human, half-crab being. The original author's source for these beings is the Royal Scientific Society, which does not and did not exist. Clearly, Mordrake was simply a character among others in a work of science fiction that spread far and wide. Photos of Mordrake and his mummified head were also proven false. The first is actually a wax sculpture, and another is made of paper mache Edward Mordrake makes for a good story, but that's all he ever was, a tall tale. Still, we here at Ripley's will be here to set you straight, both you and your alleged second face. Believe us or not. Believe it or not. So far from island Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner, and I edit the show. The Notcast is recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you enjoyed this episode, please go tap that fifth star on Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast@ripleys.com or tweet at Ripley's. Next week on the Notcast, we visit the Olympics of 1936, where a courageous young African-American put on one of the greatest athletic feats the world has ever seen. Meet Jesse Owens, the man who crushed the Nazi ideology. That's next week on Ripley's Believe It or Notcast.
Believe it or not.